As my school years drew to a close, I had to make plans for the future. At school, the vice principal urged me to study pure mathematics. My mother spoke hypothetically of law as a sensible backup plan. My father suggested a combined degree of arts and music. Do you think Anna should consider study overseas? He asked Mrs. Sivan. She considered this. I will give everything I can and forever, but what I can't give? Surroundings. Outside the window, a car backed out of the driveway opposite. Its headlights flicked through the darkening room and then disappeared. When I remember what we had in Russia, Kirov Opera and Ballet every weekend and huge and biggest personalities all around, Shostakovich, Kachaturian, Kabaleski, Rostropovich, Richter, Galelzoy, Strak. She counted their names on her fingers, laughing at the excess. I not say Russia is perfect, not, but in certain backgrounds when you have material deprivation, immediately you come to spiritual. Do you think Anna should go to Russia? My father asked. In current situation, impossible. Safety I cannot guarantee. But what I can guarantee? That she will be learning always like sponge and forever. Please, once more, Prokofiev. The following week, Mrs. Sivan left Adelaide to visit her sister in Los Angeles. Remember, piano always speaking, never just note playing, she reminded me before she went. She had charged up my Prokofiev to Carter with such dazzling energy that I was sure it would shine forever. It really again comes to three. Why, what, how? Sometimes you can compromise with how you do it, but not with what. And definitely never, ever why. If you remember this, all will be excellent. Otherwise, we'll be awful. What is why? Why is basically a philosophical question about why it happens. Why I want. Why the composer asks for this. But first of all, question has to be what. What happens here? What we are talking about. What I really aim. What, what, what? And what is how? How you can do is highly subjective, except when composer asks you, and Prokofiev asks you exactly. This sounded logical, but shortly after she left, the Toccata lost its charge. The piano stopped talking to me, withdrawing into itself like a reluctant bride. Piano chooses you, Mrs. Sivan had told me, and I had always assumed it had chosen me. But had it really? Or had I simply chosen it without asking its opinion? Compared to the ease of my school subjects, quadratic equations that unravelled before my eyes, poetry that imprinted itself on my mind, playing the piano was hard work. I assumed it was like that for everybody, but was it? Sometimes Mrs Sivan told me about her students in Leningrad. Conservatorium only comes to cream of cream, students there with animal abilities you would not believe, people who can write down full symphony on first hearing. Such animal abilities lay well beyond me, and I had put her words quickly out of my mind. But now they came back to haunt me. Was it possible that I lacked talent? Talent is like huge sum of money in bank, she had said. You can spend all in ten years, and, I'm sorry, default is possible, and you can't live on interest alone. So much talent goes to bin or to mad house. Much more interesting question is what you do with your talent. Talent needs watering and constant perspective. In her absence, I continued to do what I could with my investment. I sure another 15 minutes off my permitted dinner break. I took pleasure in my self-discipline, my zealotry. If the piano would not speak to me willingly, I would force it. My practice became mechanical and punitive, and playfulness again disappeared from my life. A month later, Mrs. Sivan returned from America and enlisted me again in The Chosen People. 
Now that she was back, the piano keyboard was again my playground, through which I flew, weightless, hand in hand with Prokofiev, defying God's laws and scripting my own. Part of the rapture of this Toccata was in the playing of it, its relentless drive, the thrill of its improbability. I sprang from point to point, deft as a tightrope walker, with all those possible wrong notes grinning below. There was no room here for anxieties about talent, which now seemed foolishly self-obsessed. Instead, I summoned up all those niggling voices, those petty-minded gossipers, those chattering doubts, and blazed them into the air with a blare of trombones. With the help of Mrs. Sivan and Prokofiev, everything was easy, and I moved through my list of goals, ticking them off one by one. I won the important sections at the Adelaide Stedford. I gave two successful recitals for the Australian Society for Keyboard Music. The biggest thing is that we are all coming to serving, she reminded me. Like Shostakovich says, we are all soldiers, but of course it's good to want to be general. I never say no to ambition. We all go step by step, but I aim always creation, never ego or narcissism. At school speech night in the Adelaide Town Hall, I was named Ducks of the School and awarded the prizes for music and English and mathematics and history and debating. Each time my name was read out, I felt it as a small caress, polishing my inner sheen after the ravages of adolescence. The following week, at the Leavers' dinner, I was asked to make a toast. As I leave this hallowed institution, I feel crippled by nostalgia. Why must high school ever end? It was an act of revenge on five years of high school, on the cool kids with their impenetrable codes, on the doubting teachers who counselled me to become doctor or lawyer, on my classmates who refused to take my calling seriously. Why don't you give me your brains while you fiddle away at the keyboard? And finally, I'd like to thank the principal for coming to our debates. My duckshood glowed around me like a protective force field. He was, in fact, our secret weapon. By sleeping through them, he gave us real incentive as we tried desperately to wake him and secure his attention. My speech gained the easy laughs I was seeking, even as it made no allowance for the fine teachers who had taken me under their wing. I was a young revolutionary in love with my own powers. You can't make an omelette without breaking eggs. Of course there would be dissonances. I was emancipated in spirit and I was going to make a huge impression. One morning in January, as I waited for my results by the letterbox, my mother came running outside with the telephone. It's the Senior Secondary Assessment Board. I took the phone from her, listened gravely to what the man had to say, and hung up. It looks like I received perfect scores in all subjects. Yippee-dippy-dippy-doo, she screamed. It's certainly a relief, I conceded, as she hugged me, but I felt queasy. There was something extravagant about these results, something over the top. Had I gone too far this time? Could such excess cost me the Tennyson Medal or the Don Maynard Prize? A week later, I received a second phone call, saying that I had won the Tennyson Medal and the Don Maynard Prize. I went to see Mrs Sivan. 
It's excellent news, she declared, leading me triumphantly into her music room, where she was teaching an ear, nose and throat surgeon. This girl received full marks for Year 12 and Don Maynard Prize for Best Music Student and Tennyson Medal for English. The doctor stood and shook my hand. Congratulations. I never pressured this girl to become musician, made own choice completely, could do anything and chose piano. Makes me very happy and very proud because music needs her. Why? The doctor looked uncertain. Because music is the life, music is the health of a nation. We have huge responsibility to future, a responsibility of giving, of passing this human spirit to next generations. She was singing now, her eyes dancing with evangelical fervour. Music's so important, can give so much to young people, and is crucial for general future. This spiritual excitement and knowledge has very concrete knowledge behind it. It's very precise science. Music itself can't change whole world, but definitely can change us, one person at a time. The following day, I went into the advertiser for an interview. I explained that I was going to be a concert pianist. Do you have to move elsewhere to do that? The journalist asked. Basically, you tour the world. Yes, but can you be based in Adelaide? I realised I had no clear idea of what concert pianists did, beyond giving the occasional concert. How frequently did they perform? Where did they live? I think so, I answered. But eventually I might move somewhere else. Like where? I hazarded a guess. Sydney? But you're also good at English. I explained that my kindergarten teacher, Mrs Hackett, had taught me how to read. I mentioned Mrs Sivan in passing, but I did not thank my family. The article appeared the following day. Anna plans to move to Sydney to seek fame and fortune as a concert pianist. She attributes all of her success to her kindergarten teacher, who taught her how to read. A call came through before lunch. Anna, it's me. Mrs Sivan's voice lacked its customary warmth. I learned a very interesting thing today. I learned in the newspaper that you will move to Sydney. I felt instantly ashamed. Very strange article, of course. She attributes all of her success to her kindergarten teacher who taught her how to read. Of course, Mum and Dad and nobody else taught you anything. I realised that her name had been omitted from the article. I mentioned your name, but the reporter left it out. What I need my name in newspaper for? For me, it's not important, but important for you to learn importance of gratitude, of acknowledging roots. It's very easy to take people for granted. Her greatness was a premise of my musical life. It seemed as little in need of acknowledgement as a mountain needed acknowledgement of its size. But I don't take you for granted. Of course, and of course you must go to Sydney immediately. In the past, she had told me stories about clashes with students. The girl who said she was beyond Chopin, the woman who boasted that she was better than Richter. Very good, then. We would change her interpretation immediately. And afterwards, the protests. What is problem? Richter can change his interpretation a million times. Depends on feelings of day. She told me these stories as lessons in humility and gratitude. And from my privileged position in her heart, I had laughed at such students, at their hubris and necessary comeuppance. But now, as she wished me goodbye over the phone, the warmth and safety vanished from my world, and I ran into my father's study, distraught. I think Mrs Sivan just fired me. He drove me to see her. By the time we arrived at her house, I was overcome by shame, matched only by fear of what was about to happen. I knocked on her front door, my pulse throbbing in my ears, primed for reprimand. But when she answered, she just looked tired. I had never seen her vulnerable before, and it shocked me. I'm sorry.
She studied my face warily, and I realised she was a human being, after all. She gestured us in and we followed her over to the piano, where the offending article was displayed on the music stand. Altogether, you make yourself look very cheap, Anna seeks fame and fortune as concert pianist. I didn't say I wanted fame and fortune, I, I just said I wanted to be a concert pianist. Even to say it, life and music much broader, must be concert pianist and concert teacher. Concert teacher in many ways higher than concert pianist. You have to be concert pianist first and then be able to pass it on. We have huge responsibility, huge for passing this legacy, never just about ego, always music first. I know. Never about keeping music for yourself, always about yourself in music. I know, I'm sorry. Please, no tears. She took my hand now. It's very good lesson, really. You have right to make mistake and grow. But you are not schoolgirl anymore. From now on, needs to be much more intelligent. As we left, she embraced me, and I felt restored to the fold, but provisionally, with no sense of tenure. Things were more complicated than I had hoped. A perfect score was not, after all, proof against disaster. Thank you.